Coming up on the Fox Rugby Podcast, we cross to Matt Hodgson, the former Wallaby, who's making big things happen with Rapid Rugby and Andrew Forrest over in the Western Force. We break down what's gone wrong with the Wallabies this year. We cross to Greg Martin, one of our very own, and we ask the question, is Michael Checker going to be the Wallabies coach come 2019? is the home of Australian rugby and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast. Well, welcome to another and our final edition of the Fox Rugby Podcast for 2018. I'm Christy Doran and I'm joined as always by my colleague from foxsports.com.au, Sam Worthington. Sammy, last one for, for 2018. How do you feel about that? Very emotional, isn't it? The, the year's flown by yet again. We say this every year and... Uh, <laughs> Christmas party this Friday. Um, that's a big talking point around the office, isn't it? We're trying to work out our, our costume ideas. So if you've got any good ideas, uh, the theme is country. So uh, tweet them at us if you've if you've got any great costume ideas. Well, you're looking very festive today in your uh, red and blue shirt, your, your number that you're sporting at the moment. Um, but enough about that. More about the Wallabies and what's gone wrong. The final final test of the year is being played at Twickenham. Six straight defeats for the Wallabies against England since the the 2015 World Cup. Eddie Jones, six. Michael Checker, zero. It's uh, it's not great for Australian rugby at the moment, is it? Yeah, pretty resounding scoreline that. And yeah, it's been a basically what's the same theme that's been happening um, for Checker on these spring tours. There used to be games that the, the Wallabies could, could tick off and, and win a lot of these games, but not anymore. They're, they're getting done by... Wales, Ireland, Scotland and England now. Um, and, it's the grand slam of losses. And, yeah, thank God for Italy. Um, but, yeah, it, it followed a depressingly um, familiar and, and predictable script, I, th- I thought, at Twickenham um, with England just being able to feast on the Wallabies' mistakes. Um, and, and they're quite an easy team to play against, I would have thought, at the moment. You, well, Warren Gatlin said that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly, just to apply some pressure, be, be patient um, and... and Basically, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. So, yeah, England dominated the the scrum. Um, obviously, the Owen Farrell um, incident, which uh, which was a huge talking point, that was key. But um, yeah, as you wrote um, yourself, clearly the better team won. Yeah, well, thirty seven points to eighteen indicates a pretty comprehensive victory for for a side. Um, and and as you said, it did follow a familiar pattern because. Pretty much every test this year that the Wallabies have lost, they've been trounced in the second half. Um, so it, it's interesting. Why is this occurring? The, the Wallabies just seem to, to fall off the cliff after 40 minutes. Yeah, I, I think the way they use their subs and, and the quality of the bench is part of that. I, I don't think they use the bench particularly well. We see other teams probably emptying the bench earlier and admittedly they've got better um, weapons to bring on as well. But yeah, to me, uh, you know, with all due respect, the likes of Sim- Simmons, Hannigan, Phipps, it doesn't quite stack up to, to some of the benches that other teams are, are throwing on. So yeah, that, that's part of it and it's just a continuation of that they tidy out one part of the, their game and another one um, falls off a cliff. Uh, so yeah, the line out was, was probably better than we, we thought it might have been. But Absolutely. Then, yeah. But then the scrum, which had held up, you know, at, at times the season has been very good. Um, suddenly that's a huge, uh, a huge problem so it's it's serious alarm bells um, going on at Rugby Australia and obviously there's a lot of a lot of chat about what's going to happen going forward now. Yeah we're going to talk to Greg Martin in just a moment about that. Um, the, the Wallabies though uh, uh, clearly at, at 13 points to 10 down just about half time um, Owen Farrell hits Isaac Rodder four metres out from the try line with no one within QE. Uh, and, he, and he, to be fair to Rotto, he goes down like a sack of potatoes, not quite sure how he didn't actually just steamroll over the top of Farrell, the, the small 10 there, but certainly got plenty of heart. Um, it was pretty... Uh, obvious that that was a, a penalty try, a yellow card. Even Clive Woodward and, and Stuart Barnes in the commentary were were saying that that was clearly a yellow penalty try. It comes off the back three weeks earlier with with Farrell doing almost the exact same thing with Andre Esterhausen. Um, Jaco Piper, he's had a shocker there. Is that that's surely World Rugby would be saying like certainly raising their eyebrows. But how can a man who's so experienced as Piper is, get a decision that wrong. 
Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. It's such an obvious call to everyone watching. Um, and Eddie Jones has come out and tried to defend him now, but I, I think that's the wrong uh, move from Eddie because because Owen clearly needs to change his technique, otherwise he's going to find himself being sent off in a World Cup final. Or have or a dislocated shoulder. Well, he, he's a he's a tough bugger, as you mentioned. Yeah, the son of uh, Andy Farrell. He, he's he's built pretty strongly. So uh, I think we talked about it as well. It's it's a case because he's a number. 10 and he's whacking blokes like uh, Rodder, you know, from a visual perspective I guess it's not as bad as if it was Rodder laying out the opposition number 10 with his shoulder so I think that's why he's he's getting away with a few of them but yeah it's it's something that Farrell certainly needs to, to sort out. Um, Sonny Bill, that was a big issue for him as well coming from rugby league having to change his technique and he, he seems to have by and large done that so yeah, Owen clearly needs to do that and in relation to that game, yes, it was a, a key moment, and, and you know, Checker was fair enough to have a complaint about it because it was was wrong. But it, it sh- certainly shouldn't gloss over any of the the issues that the the Wallabies were, were facing, should it? it, it well, you know, it, no, it shouldn't. But in in terms of the game itself, when you've got Owen Farrell, like they should go in front seventeen thirteen, and then Owen Farrell in the forty fourth minute sets up the try to Elliot Daly, who by the way just runs rings around. Will Genia, yet again, Genia being exposed in the back play where he just tries to defend 15 metres behind the line. But we, we saw it in the All Blacks Bledisloe series, Genia not being able to keep up to speed and being caught flat-footed and not being able to react quick enough. So that just brings to a head the, 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 the shoddy defensive system that the Wallabies are doing. But... You know, do the Wallabies have justification to go, hey, we could have won that game had Farrell been off for another 10 minutes? Or is this just another what if and, and, and the scoreline eventually show that the England are a far more superior side? Yeah, I don't think there was any way they were going to win that game regardless of the yellow. They were just, yeah, clearly second best. And, of course, they scored, the Wallabies scored a late consolation try that, that made the, the scoreline, um, yeah, a bit more flattering. But, no, I... I I think you'd be uh, yeah you'd be drinking a bit too much if you thought the Wallabies would have would have won even with um, Farrell in the ten um, in the bin for ten minutes it would have been a bit closer perhaps but that's about it. Well, I capped off a uh, a depressing season for the Wallabies their worst year since 1958, and to talk about what next for Australia the, the 58 team must be delighted. <laughs> Well, they've been spoken about it yet again. <laughs> Back in the news. <laughs> well, to talk about what is next and the, uh, the next move uh, that Raylane Castle and the Rugby Australia board must make, we're going to talk to Greg Martin. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. And as I just alluded to, we're talking to former Wallaby Greg Martin. Marto, how's things up in Brisbane, mate? Mate, wonderful. If you're talking weather, it's wonderful. If you're talking attitude to rugby, it's not bad at all. It's yeah, you're right. It's not great news at the moment. The, the worst season since 1958. It might have been the third time I said this on this podcast, but it's important <laughs> to. Um, <laughs> sometimes you've just got to lay down the facts. And, and speaking of a couple of facts, this is the first time that the Wallabies have, or well, it's the second time since 1984 that the Wallabies have failed to average more than 20 points per game. And not only that, uh, it's the, it, the past three years have ranked in the top five for points conceded on average per game too. So whatever. Whatever way you look at it, the attack is struggling, the defence is leaking points and the Wallabies are failing to win games. Marto, what do you think needs to happen? Plus the uh, set pieces are struggling too. I'll just throw that one in. So that covers all three assistant coaches. Is that where you want to start? I don't know. Well, let, let's start there. Well, every sports fan, and, and you don't have to be a genius, you could have lived in a cave and still realise that every rugby fan is losing hope. And any administrator or anyone who wants to put bums on seat, especially an organisation that's got no dough at the moment, will realise that a sports fan needs hope. Not hype, they need hope. And the only way we're going to give any hope, because at the moment it is completely hopeless, the situation as seen by fans. You've got to make them happy as well as put everything else into place. We need changes. We've got to have changes. We've got to have it to the set pieces. They've been woeful, especially the line-outs. We've got to fix our attack, got to fix our defence. And I'm sorry, there's three wonderful men, but that doesn't matter a stuff. This is a business. We have to make changes. Whether check survives, I'm not sure, but the three assistant coaches have to go. We've got to make changes. We've got to be seen to make changes. A year after the World Cup, remember check had them in 2000. Sorry, yeah, Link had them in 2014. Check out a year to get him right for the World Cup, and he did it. People who say that's not enough time are kidding themselves. Any any amount of time, that's, a, that's almost 10 months, that's enough. 
Yeah, Mato. So the obvious question then: what, what who can come in? Um, are you suggesting that you wouldn't mind check staying, but clean out the the support staff? And if so, who who could you bring in? Yeah, I just because checks in charge of so much intellectual property in terms of the whole overseeing the whole thing. Let's say he stays, but let's put the best the best uh, two Ford coaches. I go. We got to sort that out first up. Now we've got to sort the line outs, scrums, and also the breakdowns the woeful as well. I'm saying Brad Thorne and Laurie Fisher. I'm not sure how they get along, but I, I imagine both of them would get along for the good of rugby in Australia. Have those two appointed to run the Ford operation, and we need someone to run the backs operation. And top of my list is a bloke called Wayne Smith, who you might know about some of his deeds. He ain't working at the moment, and the All Blacks are making noises that they want to re-recruit him because they're having trouble in attack. Really? I don't think so. But they're talking about reusing Wayne Smith. I say his pride would be enough. He'd go, well, special project, 10 months. Yeah, I'll do it. And if you want to get rid of Czech as well, why not bring Jake White in? He's got the template to take a team quickly to the World Cup. Mate, we've got to make it. Then rugby fans are going, oh, righto. Uh, they're doing something because at the moment inaction is seems to be the, uh, the motto for the Australian Rugby Union. I'm feeling for you, sorry, Marto, because we know how tough it's been for the Reds for a number of years and the Wallabies too now. Um, things aren't working on the Australian rugby front. But let's just hold back a moment because you've just said the Fords coaches, Brad Thorne, Laurie Fisher, and, and certainly yep. those two guys have got some... Brad Thorne, one of the, the great All Blacks rugby players, dual internationals. Uh, we yep. saw the inroads that the Reds did with their set piece this year and, and Laurie Fisher, a, a very good forwards coach. I know that people like George Gregan in the past have said that he's got one of the best rugby forwards coaches' brains out there. But Incredible. In, in, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, and he's certainly got a lot of experience too. But uh, Wayne Smith, what, what would make you think that Wayne Smith, one of the great All Blacks coaches, guy that's revered over there what what would make um him come join rugby australia and and coach against guys like steve hansen and and and, uh, and foster the challenge of taking the team that's number seven and get them there's no way we're going to win the world cup i think we can put those those binoculars down um but if we make the semi-finals if we make the final four we get out of our pool we're going to go all right look at uh, how fiji went on the weekend along with Wales have beaten us, the challenge of turning something around completely, like you just say, this is an 11-month contract. Smithy, you want to get on board because what he's done to the back line, you think about 15 years ago, let's take it for 15 years ago, the All Blacks were woeful. It was just their Ford dominance that uh, got the job done and then most of it was on the back of a kicking game and pressure. Now they are the genuinely the best attacking force in backline play and that's because of Wayne Smith. So, yes, he is clearly... The answer in terms of technical, he wasn't as good a player as Stephen Larkin, but maybe Bernie's having trouble getting it through the way we drift across field all the time. Um, so Wayne Smith, why not? A challenge. A challenge would be wonderful. So 11 months, he's, you know, the Wallabies aren't going to beat the All Blacks most likely in the next year, so he's, he hasn't got any... Why wouldn't he do it for ambition? Can somebody just ask him? And just go, he's the best backs coach in the world. Why don't we find out? Mate, we'll make sure that this podcast uh, reaches him for sure, Mardo. And I, I thought you were recommending Wayne Smith from the Australian there for a second, and I was really getting worried. But uh, no, I think that, that oh, Jesus. it's it's a very interesting call, and um, I think it is a little bit overblown that everyone's been saying, "Oh, we've only got we've only got less than a year, less than a year." But as, as you quite rightly raise, um, Checker did okay in that time, and, and I think we've seen around the the sporting world that coaches can have that immediate effect if they're good coaches, can't they? Well, well, oh. Before, Marto, what, 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 you couldn't go any worse, could you? If that's you... right, and that, that's what we need, because then they'll be able to go, well, hold on, the Rugby Australia finally did something. You've got to get your fans energised. You've got to get young kids energised. At the moment... We're running out of rusted-on fans. I used to say, oh, we'll always hang on to the rusted-on fans and when this turns and when we start winning things, they'll all be back. Well, they're a long way away at the moment and they're finding other sports. You've got to do it straight away. You've got to give them hope. Again, we're, we're not no worse off than what we are now, mate. We have to make a change. Yeah, mate, I, I definitely agree there needs to be a change in, in some form. Um, the exact nature of it's to be determined. But just to, to sort of play devil's advocate, um, you have to step back and, and look at the bigger picture, don't you, that if, if Australia's not winning at Super Rugby level, they're not winning at under-20s level, they're not winning at schoolboys level, like it's, it's a bit unrealistic, isn't it, to, to suddenly expect the Wallabies to win? Is that fair? 
You know what, Sam? You think about it. Go back to the Irish series. They only just beat us, and they've beaten the All Blacks, okay, twice in the last three years. They only just did us in that three-test series. I know the first test they weren't full strength. But other than that, we matched up okay with them. There's been moments. There's been moments. And Brad Thorne's big one is the mental toughness. The coaches always say after four years, I used to remember Jack Gibson, the great rugby league coach, after four years, the message of a coach wears off. Maybe that has worn off because Czech's always been great with uh, the passion and getting players to buy in. Maybe that's over now, especially when you ask them to buy in and you continually lose like this year. You need a new voice. And Brad Thorne is a huge one for the attitude and mental toughness. Laurie Fisher, and I'll go back to him, is great for the technical, especially the breakdown, mainly the mall, but also the, the ruck. And both of them are masters at the line out and scrum. It seems like the perfect operation. Geez, I'd love to get uh, Scott Farty back, but that probably won't be happening. So, because that's, I reckon we, we're not far off. You think about it. If that's try, those three tries weren't disallowed, we're in that game. The scoreboard kills us because the media reports on the next day and everyone goes, oh, another thrashing against the Wallabies without digging any deeper. You dig deeper. We're not far off. So you go, oh, why don't we keep the same coaches? No, we can't, simply because no one's got any hope anymore. But we change things and just tweak things and bring in some outside eyes. And I know they're coaching super rugby teams. It doesn't matter. We've got four tests, maybe five before the World Cup. They've got time. These are hardworking men who wouldn't mind putting in Brad Thorne and Laurie Fisher and whoever else you get. We've just got to tweak a few things, mate. We're probably three players short. You know, we played Foley in the wrong position the other night. He's not a 12. Christ, not against Ben Teo and these huge men. And we need a, uh, a big back rower. We need one tall back rower. There's Nizarani or please bring Scott Farty back. Yeah, yeah, plenty to, to dissect there, there Mardo. Um, you, you did start off by saying that the Wallabies aren't going to win next year's World Cup, but you think... Well, how could they? Well, is that only under the current regime and the, the current setup? But do you think that they could have the potential of, of reaching a final if they did make, you know, big coaching changes? Because you have said that they're not far off either, the, the Wallabies. There's small moments, well, big moments in the game that the Wallabies are losing. I and no one else could possibly see how they're going to win a World Cup from here. Miracles happen in sport. Otherwise, we'd just watch Netflix all day. We wouldn't watch sport because it's so unpredictable. That's why we watch it. So anything's possible. I'd like to think that people tell me to jam that up my backside like next year when they're in the final or something. That'd be fabulous. But right at this moment, they're a million miles away, so we've got to try something different. And Matt Owen, um, just another topic, uh, one that obviously hit the headlines uh, before the test against England, this hotel drama. Mate, what, what do you make of all of that? For those that aren't fully across it, basically, um, Adam Ashley Cooper and Kirtley Beale had uh, three female guests back to the team hotel for a glass of wine and a cheese platter or something along those lines. One of the women was, was Ashley Cooper's uh, Sister sister-in-law. In so it's it's uh, a very, very, well, it's not even a crime at all, is it? But it went against the, the Wallabies team rules of not having um, guests back to the... The hotel, so word got back to Michael Hooper about that. He decided to, to sit on the news um, a few days because he didn't want to disrupt plans for the um, for the Italy test, wasn't it? Um, and, 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 and then action was taken the following week. Mate, where do you sit on all of this? Was was the playing? There's obviously been been calls from Peter Fitzsimons as well about you know not dobbing in your mates and all that. Uh, Kyle Sinclair, the England prop, got stuck into them. Do, do you think it was fair enough from from Hooper and the leadership group to to take this tough line approach? God, it was messy. Oh, the whole thing's messy. The deception and everything else. The fact is, they were going. They've been going so poorly, so they had to uh, start going. Hold on. Let's lift our standards, and that's where it all starts, standards. So I understand that's the modern way, and they've been told, and they said, right, I will drive our own standards, and that's a common common um, byline in, in modern professional sport, drive your own standards, and that's what the All Blacks do. And the Wallabies have said, no one late to the bus, no one late to team meetings. That's been forever thing. Um, this is a rule they had, and, geez, it must have been tough for Hooper, because, and I'm not going to say, you know, he shouldn't have dobbed his mates on. They had standards, and he's the captain, and... Some of that leadership group, I don't know why they're in the leadership group, but there you go. Um, It was a tough one. And you can imagine Checker going, hold on, I'm trying to win bloody test matches here and two of my players are uh, are out there doing this and they've got to hand it down. I know there's an element of deception, but it wasn't. There's no great crime being broken. It's just an internal team thing. I think it worked itself out okay. So 
it's it's a nothing in terms of their performance on the field, which is the important thing to me. Yeah, mate. As an ex Wallaby yourself, obviously timing's very different. But did, did, yes, there did, were girls did, came back. Sam, if that's what you want to know, give yourself a rat, Moto. I hope you you wife. I not, didn't say not it was my room. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I yeah, I, I think you you speak good sense there. But in terms of like, do you think this will be an issue going forward though, with, with the likes of Ashley Cooper and Beale and or you know, it's hard to know with that being in that environment. But do, do you think this is an issue that will linger or? or you know? Oh no, mate. Do we remember? Remember those few tours a few years ago when the, when Quay, James O'Connor, and Bill were wandering streets, you know, and there was genuine some of the activities may have been verging on criminal, and there was drunkenness and everything else. There's no suggestion it was that, so it shouldn't get held against them if they play okay. If Adam Ashley Cooper has a super super rugby season, you know you you can be back in the Wallabies and Curly Beal if he can work out how to kick and straighten the attack again, you can be back in the Wallabies. There shouldn't be a problem, mate. This is there's your discipline. It's over and done with. We all move forward. Yep, couldn't have said it better. We'll finish the, the chat, uh, Mardo, by just talking a little bit of Super Rugby. The Queensland Reds uh, released their, their new Believe video, which which has Brad Thorne talking about hard work and discipline and, and, and working behind the scenes and making small inroads. Uh, it was nicely put together. What did, what did you make of, of the video and the vision and, and, and how Brad Thorne is um, bringing Queensland Rugby back together? Mate, I'll, I'll preface this with uh, I love Brad Thorne. The bloke's a winner and he's my favourite body contact athlete. That's in terms of rugby union, rugby league. He's my favourite athlete of all time. What he achieved while he was playing was wonderful. I loved when he was appointed coach. He did drive some real standards and that's what that video shows, mate, the standards. So the bloke's incredible. I think the se- in the second year he'll actually start to achieve something. Queensland also probably lack direction from 5.8. There's a common problem in Australian rugby. Let's see if he can overcome that. But that's what I was talking about before. Fans want hope. And I'll tell you what else he's done. They've just signed five, maybe six young blokes, all Queensland kids, because they're always going, everyone's always going up here. Hey, how can we go well at schoolboys level and the under 20s? And then we don't sign the right players, the wrong players go. So go away to other, other um, teams. Why are the Rebels full of Queenslanders? Why are the Brumbies full of Queenslanders? Well, he's trying to make sure we sign them all. And it gives you a good feel. It, it, and that signing these young blokes makes them believers themselves. And then he's saying to the fans, hold on, look, we are a genuine Queensland team. And he is so passionate about being a Queenslander. So good place to start, mate. And also, you'll never have a Brad Thorne team that'll be unfit or will be lacking because of lack of training. So... No, I like it. I don't know whether other fans have been tricked too often, mate. I've been tricked my whole whole last 20 years and going, oh, this is the year, this is the year. You've got to do that. The video looked good. I almost had it to you. Mate, it was a cracking video, wasn't it? It's, it's almost inspired me to run home from work today, Mato. That's how pump, pumped up I am, but I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to play futsal tonight instead. But just going back quickly, uh, favourite uh, body contact athlete of all time, an intriguing uh, choice of words. Who's your favourite <laughs> non-body contact athlete of all time? Craig Cooper? No. Oh, <laughs> You're daring me to say that. Hey, uh, no, I was thinking more Tim Cahill, mate. Tim Tim K- K- oh, he made the same amount of tackles as Quaid. Is that what the, you want me to say? No, well, the, uh, <laughs> the football community will be up in arms. You managed to offend all sorts of people there. <laughs> yeah. Chris, Christy Doran's my favourite non-contact athlete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Marto, good to talk to you, mate, as always, and, and hope you have a good uh, Christmas break and look forward to talking to you again in, in 2019. Yeah, well, I hope someone rings Wayne Smith and carries through, mate, because we need the best. Absolutely. Well said. All right. All right, Marto. Keep well. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Marto. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. And it's a very warm welcome to Rapid Rugby's head of rugby, Matt Hodgson, a former Wallaby and a man who played 140 Super Rugby matches. Matt, thanks very much for jumping on the pod today. No worries. Pleasure. Um, mate, it's been about a year or so tick over since you've you've, you've hung up the boots. Um, tell us what you what you've been up to since then. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's gone pretty quickly. A year. Um, I remember sort of after retirement, I thought I'd take it easy, with a couple of months off, and, and enjoy some quiet time and no travel. Um, but pretty much soon after I retired, I got a new job. 
um, sort of re-establishing the Western Force and, and now moved into um, the, the tournament side of things and sort of been travelling around Asia and the Pacific um, aligning teams for uh, a new tournament that is looking to launch in um, late February next year. Yeah, so just uh, can you expand on you, your role there? It's, it seems pretty all-encompassing. Um, you, you, you're trying to um, keep up relationships with players and, and, and you know work on recruitment amongst other things. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's sort of uh, well, it's threefold at the sort of moment. Sort of uh, initial stages uh, was doing all the agreements and talking to uh, potential teams and unions that would want to be involved throughout the tournament. Um, and then sort of as we sign up teams, I'm looking at uh, the talent, um, uh, the rugby talent. Uh, um, that's all the way through from uh, young up-and-coming players to um, players uh, abroad looking to, to play in a, a new um, high-speed, high-intensity, uh, entertaining type of, of rugby. Uh, and then also looking at the community side um, of the game and how we can create pathway systems um, in every region we go on into, and then also expansion regions um, that we're looking to implement rugby into, um, the likes of India, China, um, and Sri Lanka. Well, wow, India, China, and Sri Lanka, they're three places that you wouldn't think naturally off the top of your head, rugby uh, rugby kind of nations at all. Um, what, what have you found from, from travelling the, the Pacific and Asia? Uh, have, you, have you seen you know, people coming, jumping on board, and, and, and how much do these countries actually know about rugby? Yeah, that was probably um, my initial thoughts, was, was how much rugby is played in these regions, but it was quite astounding. How, how much rugby is played, especially in the schools and universities. Um, I think uh, it's pretty much the world game. So um, it, it's played um, in, in large numbers and large pockets um, throughout, throughout the regions we've been into and also then doing some further research and, and, and sort of travel is seeing how many foreigners um, play in, in different markets um, around, around the world. A few years ago, you probably would have said Georgia didn't have a strong rugby nation or even America, but now um, you look at those sort of players playing in Europe and, and um, then America moving to top 12 in the world. So um, you just invest a bit of time and a bit of uh, energy into these areas. I, I think they're going to go from some even tier three to tier two and tier two to tier one nations playing rugby in uh, probably a 10 year span. And Matt, uh, for people that haven't, you know, caught up on the announcement last week, I think it was, um, where you know some more details of of Rapid Rugby were released. Can you just uh, talk the listeners through how it's all going to work, the concept, and also the the rule changes because it is quite different. Some of the rules, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the first thing I learnt from a player to administrator that you're not allowed to call on rules. You've got to call them laws officially. Right, <laughs> come on, Sam. And, 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 as, and as an, as an open side flank, you'd only just got your head around all the all the regular <laughs> rules, and now you now you got to get your head around some more. Yeah, I knew how to break them. But <laughs> I didn't know how to follow. Them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so initially, we're looking at an 18 competition in in 2019, um, mainly focusing on the Asia. And Pacific region, so talking to the likes of Fiji, Samoa uh, in the Pacific, and then with Hong Kong, uh, Perth, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, um, having strong talks with um, teams within Japan um, to, to form um, a home and away series that will run from uh, late February to mid-June, so it fits in a um, free spot in Asia um, for especially top top league not playing next year, um, so there's a, a lot of interest in that department, and then just trying to fit more rugby into a um, a 90 minute broadcast sort of window, um, so turning the game into a 70 minute sort of uh, entertaining and want it to be a fast action paced um, type of game. So there's been slight variations on the laws. And we'll continue to work closely with World Rugby to innovate that and um, try and increase the, the ball and game time that, one, the players want, but also the spectators want to, want to see more rugby. Yeah, so things like no kicking outside the, the 20... Well, you can't kick out of the full inside your own 22, which you can do in, in uh, the game at the moment. Um Matt, Matt, this has been a... It's happened relatively... Well, very quickly since since the Western Forces 
unfortunate culling from uh, Super Rugby and, and we know how devastated uh, not only you but the entire Western Force, Western Australian region and, and, and Australia on a whole, um, losing its national footprint. Um, but with, uh, with that, clearly... Um, Rapid Rugby, World Series Rugby has come through and, and Andrew Forrest has been really integral to getting uh, this off the ground. How, how much are you working alongside him and, and can you t- tell us about his love for the game and um, and just about him as a, as a person? Yeah, um, he's quite incredible um, to sort of work and learn off. Um, so I teach him about the uh, inside of rugby and he teaches me a fair bit about the the business life and life in general, so it's um it's quite powerful and exciting to turn up to work and, and him to pop in. And people would often think that he wouldn't um he'd have an interest, but not not be in sort of the bunkers with us. But he he's in here fighting and, and he comes in quite regularly and and always has a finger on the pulse and an opinion and ideas that um, we sort of branch out together. So it's um it's pretty exciting, and I don't think um. That well, the Western Force or this tournament would be around um, in its entirety if we didn't have a person like Andrew's vision and determination backing it. Yeah, and Matt, just from a bigger picture perspective in Australian rugby and, and how the relationship's going, it was it's obviously a very interesting dynamic with with um, the, the, you know the, what happened with the Force and Rugby Australia, obviously you know basically uh, ending that relationship. Um, but it seems like there's been some progress made with um, with your relationship with Rugby Australia. Um, clearly, World Rugby now coming on board as well. Can you just talk, you know, behind the scenes where where that all sits going forward? Uh, yes, yeah, so obviously, um, a lot of dis- disappointment with the, with the way the Western Force um, sort of was removed from, from Super Rugby. But we can't live in the past and, and dwell on that. We have to rebuild um, these bridges, um, and, and both parties are doing that and working strongly to our ultimate goal. Uh, or our ultimate goal that we set out was to, to bring rugby back into Western Australia and um, make the Wallabies more accessible and have more players have the opportunity to play for Australia. So we have to work closely together to to achieve those two goals. And um, obviously with the Western Force being part of this tournament, we need um, both Rugby Australia and um, World Rugby's approval. So we had to work closely and um, sort of put our differences that happened in the past to sort of build a, a new culture and a, a new um, sort of working relationship together to, to have a um, sort of representative from Australia in this competition. Um, so we've had to rebuild that and um, it's been uh, working closely with especially Raylene um, to to put our vision and our ideas um, forward and, and um, sort of keep them informed um, and uh, them keeping us informed on, on where, where they think rugby is moving into the future. Mm. You, you just mentioned Raylene's name. I'm curious uh, to, 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 if we can, just learn a little bit more about that kind of relationship and when the rebuilding started because it was, it was about a year ago or so that, that you wrote um, – quite an emotional uh, message on, on your Facebook saying that, look, the, today might be just the day I finally lose the love of the game after another opportunity to, to make the, the right decision again was wasted. It, it's never too late to make the right decision. Will the love ever come back? I'm not sure. So so how's that love come back and, and when did it, when, when did the, the relationship start to, to build? Um, yeah, uh, to, to Raylene's credit, and, and I think it was a big step for her. She, one of her first, um, I think, well, um, engagements was with the with the WA public when she first got appointed, and and probably people often forget that Raylene probably wasn't involved um, entirely in the way this process went went about before she sort of got in the position. So um, she she jumped in the deep end, and it was definitely a difficult task for her, but. Um, since since then, I think every day or every time we, we meet or talk, um, we're, we're building a, a stronger uh, business relationship there. So I think that's often forgotten. But my love for the game is definitely um, still there. Um, and, and it's exciting now to, to view rugby from a, a different angle. And I think if everyone involved in rugby has the common goal of making it better and 
that's not just at the top level, but have more people playing and trying to create rugby to be the number one sport, not only in Australia, but in the world. If that's everyone's mission, then um, I'll work alongside them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there was a there was a bit of a setback recently with a, a touted Western Sydney team um, not approved for for, for next year. Um, where, 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 how much of a setback was that? Well, I, I think we we have to be flexible and, and, and nimble and respect um, regions and, and people um, that sort of control those sort of areas at the moment. Obviously, it is a setback. For us, and we saw that as an important market and, a, and an area that we wanted to invest uh, financially and time into. Um, but in saying that, hopefully our interest in there is maybe spark something in New South Wales to, to put time and effort in there. But we're still working hard um, in 2020 to, to, to have a team um, in that region. And, and we feel that's a, a strong rugby network and that's probably hasn't hit its potential um, in, in isolation and probably the biggest thing that I've learned over this time um, especially working with likes of India, China and Sri Lanka is you can't um, treat a country on its entirety you have to sort of find pockets or, or areas and work what's best for that area one, one glove won't fit every hand is sort of how we sort of deal with every situation and you've got to be nimble and flexible and, and that's what we're trying to do um, but our outcome and end goal won't ever change, and that's to to create rugby to be the number one sport in the world. And, and we see Australia as an important market of that. And um, I think everyone can um, talk they they want to see Australia win the World Cup. And we think investing time into the grassroots rugby uh, and um, especially the areas of Western Sydney that we can find potential wallabies in the future or yeah. current even current wallabies. In, in, in the present. Yeah, indeed. I don't think you'll have anyone uh, disagree with you about the grassroots of the game. Um, you mentioned earlier, too, that, that Fiji and parts of the Pacific were areas that you came to tap into, and clearly Fiji, with a historic victory over France in Paris on the weekend, just brought to light even uh, even more how much of a team this is and, and country on the, on the rise. Um, uh with with Fiji not being involved in the Pacific, not being involved in Super Rugby at the moment, that's clearly an area that's not been quite utilised to its potential. You you would think. Uh, how realistic is it to have a, a side based out of Fiji? Ah, uh, yeah, we've been working closely with um, all levels of, of Fiji. Um, it's a, definitely an area of interest and a, a, an area of excitement. And uh, why wouldn't you want? people uh, or Fiji, the country, to, to be part of your tournament with the type of rugby um, and now the results they're playing. So uh, one of our philosophies um, when we started this was returning players back to the, the homeland if they wanted to go back home. So we see Fiji, Samoa um, and even Tonga as important markets in, in that regard. And um, Again, how good would it be, although they're in the Australian pool, to, to see Fiji go well in the World Cup and and we, if we can be part of, of helping that nation um, perform in the world stage, then um, we're doing our part. Yeah, it's an enormous uh, project that you've got in your hands here, you know, basically starting from scratch uh, with, with a competition and new clubs and new entities. And you mentioned that it's not one size fits all. It's a different approach for each country. But just so, how, how are you going in terms of the, the biggest uh, key here is obviously securing good players to, to create a good product for your competition so how is that massive process going and what level of player are we are we looking at here i know that uh clearly you'll need some big names to to sell it to the punters and the likes of carter and Giddo. it doesn't doesn't get much bigger than that they've been floated out there can you can you give us any uh any uh scoop give, give us a scoop basically is what i'm asking for <laughs> um yeah so pretty much it, it's a it's a uh Definitely a difficult task and one that's um, going to put a lot of hours and energy in. Um, I'm pretty much surviving off coffee at the moment. So, um, But I think it's the first time in a long time that where a tournament can start from scratch and instead of taking on someone else's um, sort of blueprint, we get to create our own and, and be able to be nimble and flexible as we grow and, and um, do it in the best nature of the tournament also, but what's best for the team. So that's quite exciting and um, definitely the player um, market is very exciting and um, 
we're looking at, yes, we're looking at big marquees and names and such. And, and I think 2020 would be a very exciting year for us in the, in the market post-World Cup. But I think sides and teams are built more on one or two big stars. So we have to find the right people. Um, and I think Western Force is a pretty good example of, of how we can put our squad together um, in, in a short period of time and perform quite well. So it's... Yes, it's important commercially to have those um, couple of big names, but how a side and squad is made up, and that's not just the players, that's from um, the admin staff all the way through to the head coach is important for us, and, and we've got to get that right in year one um, and then add the um, oh, the highlights and the, the cherry on top in the back end of 19 and hopefully in 2020. Good stuff. Well, you're far too good an administrator. You've uh, you've handled that very well and haven't given me any headlines at all. It's yeah, just, just absolutely point. shocking. <laughs> but no, uh, that's, obviously... it, that's answering a question with a question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're not going to lace up the boots yourself, though. That's uh, that's done and dusted. Well, it's the best opportunity for me to make some good money because I'm writing the contracts now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Just, um, yeah. No, I, I think. Um, for me, the way I finished my career, I, I couldn't write it any better. Um, so I wouldn't want to change that. But I am playing local, going to probably play local football and, and do coaching locally. Um, and, and that's where I get more reward now, putting my time and effort into to those um, next generation players and, and seeing them um, go through the system. It's an interesting landscape, isn't it, uh, Matt, given what's going on with uh, Sanzar and Super Rugby at the moment. Um, and I was always sort of thinking that part of what Andrew Forrest was doing to ma- was to maybe position himself to to get the force back in, in a revised Super Rugby comp when the next broadcast deal comes along. Look, are those talks, have they happened? Like, is that is that a goal to get the force back into Super Rugby or have you moved on and now, you know, full steam ahead with your own competition now? Um, it's, it's probably a, a question that um, we, we probably can't answer at the moment, but all I know is all our attention is pushing forward with our own competition and making that successful. Um, nobody... Um, apart from the people inside Sansa and um, that know what their strategic plan is moving forward. Um, if we're part of those um, discussions, um, we'll definitely listen. Um, but um, all my attention and all our attention is, is through this Asia-Pacific region as we see that as the growth market um, and probably an exciting tournament and something different that rugby fans and people that probably don't watch rugby or aren't rugby tragics like you or me um, will get involved with the game and, and turn into rugby tragics. Very interesting times ahead for the for the Western Force and indeed Rapid Rugby. Just before we let you go, the, the Wallabies at the moment clearly had a, a, a miserable year, only winning four tests from th- uh, 13 matches. Um, and, and over the last week, the, the headlines have uh, been probably just as alarming as ever with, with Adam Ashley Cooper and, and Kurtley Beale being stood down um, initially, Michael Checker and, and the Wallabies coaching staff and administration believing that let's try to you know, keep this under the sweep it under the carpet for the time being, and and then we'll bring the details to life if it, it if it did indeed come out. What, what are your thoughts of of having a couple of players be suspended for 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 a match because they invited three three female guests, one being a sister in law, um, back back to the hotel, and 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 they were all gone before midnight. Uh, yeah, it's probably pretty hard to comment on that, actually, because um, you don't know what the team protocols are and what the, the leadership group or the, or the coaching staff are put in place. Um, so if they're, if they're broken, what the team agreed upon, and if that was plain and simple, um, is, is what everyone bought into, then uh, it's hard to judge. But what I always try to do as, as a captain was, was treat everyone as adults and um, put the responsibility on them. So it, it's very hard to comment um, without knowing all, all the facts and sort of what's going on. But um, you sort of have to, to believe it and trust in, in what you put in together as a team and everyone's got to buy into it. And um, it's, it's quite simple. If you've got everyone on a, a Roman ship rowing in the right direction, you go a lot faster than one or two that put their oars in the wrong way or row the opposite direction. 
And Matt, you had a, a brief taste of life under Czech, um, I think, when he first came on board on that spring tour. Um, what are your observations on, on the Wallabies at the moment? Um, obviously, results very tough this year, and no doubt you're still mates with a lot of the, the current players. Like, Do you see any light at the end of the, the tunnel here? Do you have any suggestions as to as to what might help going forward? Um, I'll probably just to, to try and keep involving and try and find um, a style of rugby that suits the players. Um, there's no use having a, a type of rugby that... that you like playing, but you need to have a, a style of rugby or a pattern of rugby that suits the players that you got on hand. Um, so it's probably that. And, and again, it's hard um, looking. I always never said that I, I would be one of those ex players that would be part of the the problem. I'd rather be part of the solution. So um, I'm surely that Michael Checker and his team he's got a, a plan um, to, to hopefully win the World Cup because. Um, no one will remember this year if we win the World Cup next year, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, probably simple changes uh, I'd probably like to see. I, I like Jake Gordon and trying to get him in your match day 23 would be quite exciting. Um, and try and, um, what he did on spring to bring that young excitement and players that really want to play for the jersey um, will get your results and, and, and take each game as it comes. It's pretty cliche, but, um, yeah, it's... Definitely, they've got to go out with confidence and, and think they can win every game they go out to play. Yeah, you, you just mentioned style and, and, and making sure that you're playing a style that the players can play and they like playing. And um, Do you think that they've lost that a little bit? Because, yeah, as Sam said, you were there right at the beginning. I think you captained the Barbarians and a couple of tests uh, against the Barbarians and, and played a couple of tests on, on Czech's first tour as, as Wallabies coach. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, there's probably elements there that they've probably gone away from what they enjoy doing and probably play within a system rather than just playing. Um, you've got some great talent there, um, especially in a world-class back three, um, and, and you just got to let them play and, and, and see what's in front of them and just let them do it and not worry about um, mistakes so much it's always hard and difficult from from a coaching point of view but you, you've got to let the players express themselves and that starts at training and stuff like that so um, if a player's enjoying themselves and a team's enjoying themselves um, they're going to go a lot further than being um, locked into a certain style a certain um, way they have to play or a certain position um, probably a good example for us was in 20. Um, 2016, when Izzy Nazarani first came to the Western Force, we, we tried to put him within in our system um, to hit certain breakdowns or hit certain rucks, and that didn't work for his style. And then we sort of asked him to just play play football and, and play why he got um, selected in the first place and he ended up getting the, the player of our team that year because he just enjoyed his football and, and did what came naturally to him. So... If players go back to that, uh, I think that we um, there's definitely enough talent within Australia and um, uh, enough players to pick from um, that I think we'll do well next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, is he nice around here? What a talent he's going to be. But uh, do, you, do you see him cracking the Wallaby starting lineup next year? Um, yeah, I'd probably say that's probably one area we we need uh, better balance. Is our back row? Um, I think you look at every successful. Full- team the Wallabies put out. They had a strong, powerful full number eight. Todd Ikefu, Wycliffe, Palu, um, uh, David Lyons sort of led to a, a very successful. So if we get that balance right, um, I think um, he, he can fit into that um, sort of mould and be that player for the Wallabies for, for many years. Yeah, I don't disagree. Would that mean, though, that you, you see you know Michael Hooper or David Pocock shift to six or, or just play one of them? Um, I'd, I'd probably play... Again, it's hard, um, and who you play and what that, but um, I, I really like what Jack Dempsey's done in, in coming back from a 12-month layoff. Um, so imagine another um, six to eight months under his belt. So it'd be hard to remove him if he keeps this current form and progression on. So that probably leads to the tough question, who you play at seven, and, and um, I think the best test match seven at the moment um, for the Wallies would be David. Well, there we go. Uh, nice to hear a, a former Wallabies 
back rower with on those comments and and look it's a it's an exciting time for rapid rugby and western force going forward so i look forward to catching up on a, an update next year and, and, and ahead of the season which kicks off in in late february uh matt very much appreciate you coming on the on the fox rugby podcast no worries, thanks thanks guys for having me Always good to speak to, to Matt Hodgson, one of the, the greats and a bloke who could have played many more tests indeed. Sammy, just about to wrap up, but some final news. Uh, one of your fellow countrymen, Joe Schmidt, has decided that he's going to step away from the Irish coaching job. Uh, just recently crowned as, as World Rugby Coach of the Year. He's going to step away following next year's World Cup. Andy Farrell to become the Irish coach. And Joe Schmidt said that he's probably going to concentrate and spending some time with his family and, and maybe step away from the coaching uh, uh, a coaching position full-time. Rather interesting developments, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the part of him actually stepping away from rugby altogether caught people by surprise, didn't it? Uh, we, I think word was starting to trickle out that he'd move on from Ireland. He's obviously basically achieved everything he, he can over there, apart from obviously winning a World Cup, which he'll, he'll try and do next year. So, yeah, that part wasn't a huge surprise. So, yeah, the, the, the fact that he's ruled himself out of the All Blacks job um, from a, a New Zealand perspective is a real shame. I would have loved to have seen him take the reins. He's obviously overqualified for the job. He's, he's done incredible work, um, and, and that, that's a shame for me. But let's face it, he's not going to be out of rugby for long, as he clearly is. Um, he pre- loves it. He's clearly pretty obsessive um, about yeah. the game, and as you have to be at that level, and uh, which is probably why he now needs to go back and spend some time with his family. Um, he's, he's got a son who suffers from epilepsy, and, and he's, he's openly admitted that he's neglected his family. So, yeah, it looks like he'll recharge the batteries, and I'm sure we'll see him pop up in rugby, probably in, in New Zealand, pretty quickly. But it, what it means now, of course, is that the All Blacks... Uh, Will either roll on with with Hanson or Foster, I would have thought. Um, although Scott Robertson's another name that will come into the the mix there as well. So there's some huge uh, dominoes sort of falling into, well, jigsaw pieces fall, falling into place around the the rugby world at the moment. Yeah, very interesting indeed, and we'll find out uh, soon enough what happens with the Wallabies and, and Rugby Australia going forward. Will they continue with Michael Checker throughout 2019, or will they uh, turn to someone else, perhaps on an interim basis, and and then you know open up uh, the the checkbook and, and start again post excuse the pun <laughs> indeed i see what happening uh post 2019 so that just about wraps it up sam um the final pod of of the year a big thank you to, to nick mccardle who, who hosted the, the 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 pod for the majority of the year before having a, a bit of time away and i think he was just at twickenham on the weekend enjoying it rather than hosting it behind the the, the tv camera so thanks to nick and podcast philip Pryor, our producer too thank you very much indeed thanks guys and well done to you as well uh a particular sh- i think the listeners deserve to know that a, a big shout out uh needs to go to christy for uh m- most weeks i would say sam organizing uh some fantastic guests 100 percent. christy's done a, a tireless job and yeah thanks thanks to your good self as well mate you're um you're All right, working enough. very hard with the the swishes the transitions <laughs> It's quite something behind the scenes. <laughs> well, enough of, of that and the pats on the backs. But in all seriousness, please do give us um, uh, your, your feedback, whether that be on iTunes through a review or, or shouting out on Twitter or on Facebook. We do tend to, to try to look at the, the comments and, and, and take your feedback and going forward. So looking forward to coming back in 2019 and doing it all again. But until then, have yourself a great Christmas, New Year, and, and uh, watch this space and follow it all on foxsports.com.au's to who will be coaching the Wallabies come 2019. Thanks uh, again, and I'm Christy Doran. See you next year.